Father, this morning we just stand before thee, Lord. We come to you, Lord. Help us to fight every wandering thought. Bring every emotion subject to the will of God. Keep our eyes on the cross. Keep our mind fixed on Christ Jesus. That we may hear and we may know the purpose of God in every hour. That we move in alignment with the Holy Spirit. With the purpose of the king and the kingdom. Not be caught by the pressure of the world. Help us, Lord, to focus. For there is nothing greater in life than the call of the kingdom, the call of the king. So speak, teach us this morning, Lord. We surrender ourselves into thy hands. Let there be no issue with the internet, this live streaming. I pray, Lord, let it all go uninterrupted. We plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, or everything that you have given us to see the word reach us to the ends of the earth. I plead the blood of Jesus over everyone who is hearing and will hear. That we are sanctified continuously by your word and by your spirit. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. So this 16th of November, sorry, December, (laughs) we will go back to the drawing board. Remember 31st night, Nehemiah 2 and verse 18, we have it right here, 2 and verse 18. I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also on the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. The word of God is eternal. It is living. It never changes. But every generation has to understand what it means for them, what it meant for them, what it meant for subsequent generation, what it means for us. It's not the same. We are not going to Jerusalem to build the walls. We are not. But what does it mean? And we have to look at it. And this is where we had begun on 31st night. It all begins in chapter 2, verses, if you go to verse 11 and 12. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night and I a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. It begins from there. He had something that was put in his heart by God to do at Jerusalem. So God has to put that purpose in our hearts. So the question we have to ask this morning is, can God put a burden on my heart? Can God put a burden on my heart? That's where it all begins. No, God is always looking for one person upon whom he can put his burden on earth. One person, whether it's an Abel, whether it's a Noah, whether it's an Enoch, whether it's an Abraham, whether it's an Isaac or a Jacob or a Moses. And sometimes he waits because he cannot find a person 
between Malachi and John the Baptist. It's a 400 years because he found nobody. Okay. Between Joseph and Moses, there's a gap of almost 400 years because there was nobody. Nobody. Okay. Because the purposes of God on earth is done through man. Through man. Because God has given the earth to man. The Bible says very clearly given it to man. So he always looks for somebody. And here is a man who says, I told no one. He didn't tell anybody what my God had put in my heart. And also to do at Jerusalem. When God puts a burden into your heart, it is a particular purpose and it's at a particular place. Particular place, okay? Some people, the burden God puts will be very localized. Some people, it could be universal to the ends of the earth. Okay, so it is localized or it could be bigger. Okay, so we have to vary. In his case, though he was high up in the ranks of the Babylonian aristocracy, cupbearer to the emperor, the purpose God put for him for was not for Babylon. It was for Jerusalem. It was for Jerusalem. Okay, the burden was put for Jerusalem. So we have to always see that. And he didn't tell anybody. He didn't tell anybody. So the first question we ask today is, can God put a purpose on my heart? Can God? Now, how does God put a purpose on somebody's heart? How does he do that? That's, we're going back in time, 12 months. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chishlev, in the 20th year, as I was in Sushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So somebody came. Somebody came. Okay, it's, it's, it's just a piece of information. Somebody came from far away. Okay, somebody came from Jerusalem. And he asked. And they said to me, the survivors who are, uh, Sammy, it's vibrating. Just handle that vibration, no? The survivors who left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Okay, so you hear a news. You hear a news. Whatever news it is, you hear a news. The survivors, the people who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down with its gates and its gates are burned with fire. Okay. Before God can put a burden upon your heart or my heart, he will see we have access to information about a particular situation. And then he sees how do we react. He watches. This information must have gone to so many people in Jerusalem. They all heard. Everybody's got somebody in Jerusalem. Because they are all captives from Jerusalem. Everybody has somebody in Jerusalem. Some relative, something. So everybody must, oh, how is my uncle? How is my this thing? And all that's all. They were, oh, your uncle is okay. And that's fine. Interest. They also must have heard the rest of the news. But they were not bothered by it. They were not bothered by it. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before God of heaven. That's how it started. Okay. When you hear the state of the church. Okay. 
For a lot of people within the church, the state of the church, when I'm talking about the body of Christ, I'm not talking about a particular denomination, the body of Christ, it doesn't bother them because they're okay. They're okay. Babylon has done well with them. Babylon. Is it working, Sammy? Yeah, okay, because you guys are looking so concentrated in other directions, I worry that the internet is gone. Okay, because part of the worship they couldn't hear because they were blocking, but it's back again. Okay, yeah, so a lot of them had settled down well. Okay, because you go into the world, you prosper. You know, there are principles by which you can prosper. And you prosper, you're well settled, and everything is okay. And then you also send your children to Babylonian schools, and they're doing well. And they are, no, and they have become Babylonian in their eating habits, in their dressing habits, in their talking habits, what they watch, what they see. It's all Babylonian. So when you hear the state of Jerusalem, it doesn't move you. It doesn't move you. This is what the world does. This is why God says you are not of the world and constantly we have to, I am not of this world, I am not of this world, I am not of this world, I will not be part of this world because if I am of this world, I become part of the world. God can never put the burden, okay, burden, okay. And that's why you see, if you see, if you see the entire uh, three and a half years of Jesus Christ walking on earth, they see his miraculous powers, and they all come to him with my disease, I am blind, my child is in all. They're all moved by their transitory problems. But nobody comes to him and says, my Lord, uh, my son is not interested in God. Would you pray? Would you, you would see nobody comes with a spiritual issue over that except Nicodemus. And the Samaritan woman who was interested. Hardly anybody. And you look at all the prayer requests. Thank God for the prayer requests. But you always look at all the people. Nobody is really, really worried about the spiritual state of their children. If the children are good academically and they've got good jobs, their families are settled, they're fine. They're very fine. Without realizing judgment is at the gate. It is knocking at the gate. So the question God asks is, can you have a burden like Nehemiah? Because remember, God is watching. Scripture says God's eyes are roving back and forth the whole earth. You know, looking for somebody whose heart is stayed on God. There's a difference. When you are stayed on God, you can look at all the promises of blessing and prosperity and all, or you can heart can be stayed on to God to see what grieves God. One is you are looking at God to see what you can get out of God. The other is looking at God, seeing that Lord, how can I share in your burden? What is upsetting you? You know, one is being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What grieves the Holy Spirit? The other is, of course, yes, Lord, I'm looking, my heart is stayed on you, my mind is stayed on you, I got all these promises, Lord, I am waiting for you to move over my life. That's also true, partially. But the other thing is not, Nehemiah is not looking for any of those promises, he's broken over. In Ezekiel 22, when you go over there, you will see a nation that has gone down. Son of man said to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of a prophets in a midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured the people. They have taken treasure. 
precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. A priest have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy. Now remember, there are kings and there are princes and there are courtiers and the people. But God, when he makes his judgment, he begins always with the priest. Because he says, if the priests do not teach the people what is clean and unclean, what is holy and unholy, that is where it all began. So the destruction of U.S., which is knocking at the gate, did not begin in the White House or the Congress or the Senate or the halls of the people. It began in the churches. They got the world in. They just slowly twisted the gospel, turned it from Christ to the world. They turned it. They just, it's like somebody breaking into the supermarket at night. Let's say Ikea. Okay, I haven't seen Ikea. I'm only using it as a name. Breaking into Ikea. Go over there in the night. And you go to those place, those sections where you have expensive, expensive stuff. And you change the labels. Okay, you go to something which is, towards, let us say, 50,000 rupees. And you change the tag and put it 500 rupees. And then the next day when shopping goes, it is haywire. Because people are looking for 500 rupees is 50,000. 50,000 is 500. That's what they did. They took away the things of value which are holy, which are priceless and changed the tax and make it like a, it's not, it's not a big thing. And in the process, they changed the doctrine, they changed the songs, they changed everything. And they started giving value to those things which have no value in the kingdom of God and which are priceless in the kingdom of God. They devalued it. And it all begins with the priesthood. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people. Now look at over there. They have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. You look about how Sabbath was in the Old Covenant, and Sabbath was, Sunday was, for centuries in U.S. Today, every big game is on a Sunday. Every big game is on a Sunday. On the old days, Sundays were set apart for God. America went to church on a Sunday. And you were dressed in your best. That was what it was called. The Sunday best. The best was reserved for God, including your clothes, your hats, and everything. Children, no Sunday school, nothing. Everybody sat in church from morning till the evening. It was the duty. It was this thing. Slowly they changed. And they adjusted, adjusted, and everything that God understands. This is what God wants us to be. God wants to enjoy. And we changed the whole thing. We change the whole thing. And that's what God is talking about. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, to get dishonest gain. That is politicians. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord have prophets were plenty for every one prophet like Elijah, there were 850 who are prophesying victory. This is the plan of God. I see this and I see this for you. I see this. They are always seeing. Always seeing. Divining lies for them. Thus says the Lord when God had not spoken. The people of the land have. So the people are only put at the last. This is the order in which the priests, the kings, the princes, the prophets and the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. And God says in verse 30, 
I looked for one man. In the midst of it, I looked for one person. I looked for one when this whole nation is in actually spiritual chaos and distress. I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. He said, I sought for a man among them. In this huge multitude, he said, I was looking. He said, anybody who's upset by what is happening over here? Anybody? Anybody who's crying? Who's, who's not at all comfortable? I look for just one man. One man is enough. One man. Okay. And that's what God is talking about them. No? His eyes are roving. And at that time, he found one man. He found one man. It was Nehemiah. And nobody saw Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in his chamber. Like Daniel was in his chamber. Nehemiah was in his chamber. He fasted. He prayed. He wept. He wept. Okay. The tragedy of Christian life is that people are usually, when it comes to eternity, aimless and purposeless. Because they've they've gone to God with their burden. God has never been able to lay his burden on them. Your burden is not your purpose. It is not your God's will for you. Your burden is not your purpose. God's burden is your purpose. But because you never react to what is happening which is outside of you, God is not able to. So God found one man. One man. And when he found that one man, through that one man, God is able to work out a miracle. One man. Okay. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 10 and 12. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So God has seen a man praying. He's seen a man pray and he's already given him a vision. Okay, only three days. Already seen a vision. He's praying and he's seen a vision. And verse 15, the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name. God is watching this man pray. And he realizes this man's prayer is different from the prayer of all the others in Damascus or anywhere. This is a man on whom I can put my burden. Only three days. I can put my burden. How do you know he can put my burden? Because he will bear my name before Gentiles, kings and children of Israel. Not only that, verse 16. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Yes, I will show him. And he won't buckle. He won't back down. He won't back down. And if we were to be shown the things we are going to suffer, we will say, Lord, choose somebody else. No? Choose somebody. That's what Moses is saying. Pick somebody else. Hmm? Pick somebody else. He says, I can put my burden on him. Hmm? 
I can put my burden on him. And we need to realize the entire thing. Teach us to pray. He said, this is what prayer is. My name, my kingdom, and my will. That is the core of that prayer. Everything is subsequent to this. Why do I need my daily bread? Right? Why should I forgive my debtors? I see people in the world doing well without forgiving anybody. <laughs> right? Why should I forgive? Right? Why should uh, you keep me from temptation? I see all those who are tempted having a good time. You know? Why should you deliver me from? Because why? Because if I don't go through this process, I will never find your will or find your kingdom. I will miss my aim, my purpose. This is the purpose. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. In Acts chapter 32, uh, sorry, 13, not 32, it's not 32, 13 and 22, somebody must be turning their Bible. Thirteen twenty-two, And when he had removed him, who is that King Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. See, we always talk about David as a man after God's own heart, but we don't understand why did, what does it mean? He says he's a man after my own heart because he will do all my will. Not that he will do his will. His will. He's a man after my own heart who will do all my will. That's what God is looking for. So we have to go back this 11 and a half months and say, Lord, what did I do with this 11 months? Okay. And nobody can say, I did not have time because everybody had time. Half the 10 months where you were shut down. <laughs> there was nothing you could do. <laughs> he said, what did you do? Look back and he says, what did you do? And Acts chapter 13 and verse 36 says, And David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he did the whole will of God, and in the process, he served his generation according to the will of God. The generation may receive our service or not, but we have to serve our generation according to the will of God. I cannot serve my generation according to the will of the people unless they agree. It's not said that he served his generation. Everybody is serving their generation. Who is not serving that generation? Everybody is serving that generation. Unless you are sitting there as a yogi somewhere. Even that fellow, if he is praying, he is trying to serve his generation. So everybody is serving their generation. But that's not the matter. The matter is that, did you serve your own generation by the will of God? Will of God. That's what God is talking about. Nehemiah was serving his generation in um, Susan. And he must have been a very influential person because he had the ear of the of the king. So, so many Yahudis must have come and said, will you put in a word? Will you put in a word? He'll say, okay, I will. He must have served many. What was he doing? He's serving his generation according to the desire and the will of the people. But now it is different. He's going to serve his generation according to the will of God. And it's going to cost him. It's going to cost him. Okay, it is going to cost him. That is what he is talking about in the beginning. The Lord, I did not tell anybody what the Lord has put in my heart. What has the Lord put in his heart? One, one particular purpose. The temple was built by somebody else. Walls and gates are going to be built by somebody else. This is word 13 to 16. 
I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well, the refuse gate, viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went to the fountain gate, to the king's pool. There was no room for the animal under me to pass. I went up in the night by the valley, viewed the wall. Then I turned back, entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials or the others who did the work. He hadn't told anybody. Before he spoke to a single person, what did you do? He went and took a good survey. What is that God has demanded from me? Can I do this work? How bad is the situation? How big is the task? What it will cost? In Luke chapter 14, verses 28 to 33, Jesus makes this statement. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider which he is able with 10,000 to meet him who come against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, his sense of delegation asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, we, we sometimes forget this fact that the call of salvation is a, is a call to be a disciple. And sometimes we make it very, people will ask, how come you don't have too many people in your church? It's a, it is difficult to be a disciple. It will cost you. We will not milk, add water to the milk. We will not water it down. It is tough. It is tough. If you can survive, you have to count the cost. He, Jesus, never offered salvation lightly. Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. 9 and 62. Did I get it wrong? Yeah. Who? And Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This hour, somebody had asked me from abroad a question. And I gave this answer. And they sent that emoticon. They never seen this before. It's probably listening now. Okay, not another country, another state. Okay, never seen this before. I said, you know what, you put your hand on the plow. And you look back, you cannot. Okay, it has a much more deeper meaning than what we think because if you turn back, the line will go crooked. You have to keep your eyes and hold the plow to see the furrows are in a straight line. The walk of a disciple is a straight and a narrow path. Don't look back. If you look back, like Lord's wife, if you look back, you will miss your road. You will get onto the Broadway. You'll get onto the Broadway. And that's what God is talking about. Or otherwise you will end up in making furrows in a circle and not a line like the children of Israel did. Did you walk? Yes. Did you make a deep line? Yes. Where? In the desert. For 40 years. Okay. So that's what God is talking about. And that's one of the reasons why Christianity is in such a big mess. Verse 27 of Luke 14. And verse 33, whoever, this 28 is from where we read, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me 
cannot be. I mean, I, we, we need to mark that cannot. Okay, he says, uh, may not, we would have like, cannot, it's impossible. Possible. If you do not bear your cross and come after me, it is impossible for you to become my disciple. You will not be my disciple. And then we need to ask our questions. Then what are the churches who love? What are the churches who love? Packed crowds in so many churches. Are they disciples? Are they disciples? When he said, you cannot be my disciple. In verse 33, Likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now God is not asking you to give up everything. But he says you have to pass the sentence in your heart. First. You have to pass the sentence in your heart. And then, according to what he says, you give up. But you already passed the sentence of death in your heart. I am dead to everything. Alive to only what God says I am alive to. That is what Romans 12, 1 means. You don't have to go there. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You are dead on the altar. A living death. You are alive to God, dead to the world behind. And it can mean anything and anybody. And this is the call of the disciple. Okay, you cannot be. Why is Christianity such a mess? Christianity is such a mess. No, other religions are not in a mess. Other religions don't demand these things. Other religions are basically for the society. Christianity is for Christ. We get it wrong. Hinduism is for Hindus. Islam is for Muslims. Buddhism is for Buddhists. Jainism is for Jains. Christianity is for Christ. It is for Christ. This is the demand of Christ. And we confuse and say, oh, Christianity, I am a Christian. God says, you are not. You are not a Christian. And if you look at Second Peter 2, verses 20 to 2, the mess of Christianity. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not religion. How do you escape the pollutions of this world? Through the knowledge of a person. No religion teaches you how to escape the world through the knowledge of a person. Though every religion in its precepts has something about escaping the world. Every religion has. But it is not through the knowledge of the person. And they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. What is God saying? If you were not willing to be a disciple, it would have been better for you not to have said, yes, Jesus. Would have better for you. Because you're, you're worse now. Than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. Why? Because on that day, you will be beaten with more stripes than the fellow who did not know. Okay, because you knew and you turned away. Turn away back. Okay. Think about the Pharisees. Think about the Sadducees. Think about the crowds, all who shouted, Crucify him and think about Judas. Who think whose judgment is more? Judas. Judas. Okay. Though they are all complicit in the same plot, Judas is more. Why? Because he had put his hand on the plow, turned back and went on to the other side. And that's what God is talking about. Because the call of Jesus Christ, it is a call of discipleship. 
church. We are not talking about ministry. We are talking of a call of a disciple. The call of discipleship impacts everything. It impacts your career, impacts your family, impacts your marriage. It impacts your entire life. It impacts. It demands, like in John 21 verse 15, it demands a loyalty. The first aspect of love is loyalty. When they had eaten their breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than this? That's the first question. He's calling, he's calling, restoring him to discipleship. And before I can restore, you have one call. You have all this, your companions, your family, and your big catch, your career, everything. I have to ask you one question. Do you love me more than all this? We don't know what this is there. In each one's life, I put in brackets what these mean to you. That's it's an open-ended question. More than these. He said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Okay. So like I said, two weeks to 2021. We need to sit down and take a very honest evaluation of our life. In my relationship to the king, and to his cause. That is called the kingdom. The kingdom is a cause. And the kingdom of God envelops everything. And one day we will literally see with our eyes the kingdom of God has taken over, just swallowed the kingdoms of this world. It comes and takes over. It's that big rock and crash everything. It takes over. So we have to look into ourselves and say, what is going to happen one day in this world outside? Has it happened to me inside? Has it happened to me inside? It's the question we have to ask. If not, we need to ask, Lord gave me a fantastic year of time and rest to put my house in order and build myself in the kingdom. What did I do? 11 months and 15 days, 16 days, what did I do? That's the question we need to ask. Where do I stand? Are the walls of my Jerusalem broken down are my gates burned down remember the walls were broken down the gates were burned remember the enemy shoots fiery arrows did he burn my gates Isaiah 60 and verse 18 Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders, but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. How are the walls of my salvation? How are the walls of my salvation? Look inside, don't look outside. Is there violence inside? Is it a righteous violence or is it an unrighteous violence? Are you anxious? Are you worried? Are you angry with people all the time? Look inside the walls. Consider the state of Jerusalem. Is there violence inside? Violence against God. It's not the holy violence of holy men who took the kingdom of God by violence. We are not talking about that violence. Is there violence heard in your land inside? Are you wasting away inside? Or are you just wasting away outside? Because Second Corinthians 4, um, 18 is very clear. We are perishing outward. That's fine. You should perish outside. If you're putting on more weight, then there's something wrong with you. Elijah was only given two meals. And then again, for the rest of his three and a half year period, he was put in a poor widow. And he, he did not say, 
you, you know, all the barrels in your house will not go empty. He said, that bin. That bin. That bin and that oil. That cruise of oil. That will not go. Meaning there will be just enough. Just enough for the three of us. Okay. Though outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Go back now there. Isaiah 60, verse 18. God says, is there wasting? Not outside. Within your borders. Is there wasting inside? Am I being renewed? Or am I being wasted inside? Is there destruction inside? Or construction inside? Ask this question. If you look inside, because everybody is worried because there was destruction outside. The pandemic and the resultant lockdown has caused so much destruction outside. But God is not worried about it. He says, you don't worry about that. I said I will take care of your outside. You should be worried whether there is destruction inside. Look at the walls. If the walls are down, how do you know the walls are down? If you look inside, you will see the state inside. You will see the state in There is violence inside you. And you are wasting away inside. And there is destruction in your body. On the other hand, if walls are up, the walls of salvation are up inside, there is no violence. There is peace. The peace of God shall guard your heart. All around he went, he had violence. Paul encountered violence everywhere. Even writing in the letter to Philip, he has gone through violence. He's chained. He's in a dungeon. But he says, the peace of God. There's no violence. There is peace. Stephen is being stoned to death. There's no violence. There is peace. Jesus is hanging on the cross. There is no violence. There is peace. There's peace inside. There is no wasting away. Outside you look, you look at all these people, they seem to be wasting away. They are not wasting. They are being renewed every day. There is no destruction inside. There is enormous construction. That is what God is talking about. And is are there praise? And your gates shall be called praise. Acts chapter 16, verse 23-25. When they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet, so they have been outside is like chaos. At the midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. You know, see, ultimately, what is inside will come through your lips. Your gates are your lips. Your gates are your lips. Out of the heart proceeds all the things that come out of the mouth. And God says, you want to look at those guys? The walls are up. There's no violence inside. There's no wasting inside. No destruction inside. How will you know? Watch them. Listen to them. And the Bible says, all the prisoners were listening to them. All around the world there are prisoners. All around the world there are prisoners. But what are the prisoners hearing when our gates open? When our gates open, what do the prisoners hear? What do the prisoners hear? That's what God is talking about. That's how you should look at, like I said, Nehemiah, the scripture has said, the history part is written about something that happened 2,600 years ago. 2,586 or something years ago. 
so let's say 2,600 years ago. But how does it apply to me today? Because the word of God is living. How does it apply? How do I apply? I look, I look inside me and see what do I see? Do I see peace? Do I see construction? Or do I see destruction? Do I see wasting away? Or do I see renewal taking? Renewal taking. What do I see? And when I open my mouth, no, when I open my mouth, especially when you are alone. Because you are most true to yourself when you are alone. Because when you are with somebody else, you could be a hypocrite. Just mm-hmm. pretending to be a man of faith or a woman of faith. But when you are alone, what do you do? They were praying and they were singing. They were praying and they were singing. The gates opened. The gates opened. Okay, so God says when the gates open, are the gates of praise? Or as the enemy shot his fiery arrows at your gates and your shield of faith had been compromised and nothing was coming. Only words of despair, words of sorrow, words of grief, words of discouragement, words of violence, whatever. What does it come? What comes? What comes? Remember, this was not, this is not an emotional decision. That's why salvation is not an emotional decision. And it is upon us to tell them this is what it means so that they know what they're getting into. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Acts chapter 9 and verse 9. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Genesis 22, verse 1 and 2, and then verse 4. It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, he said, here I am. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom I, you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Verse 4. And so, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes. God gave him three days. Think about it. As you're walking, think about it. We asked you something. You could have turned back any day. First day, you could have turned back. Second day, you could have turned back. Third day also, you could have turned Think about it. Think about it. I'm asking you something. Take your time. Not all your life, you don't have to think about it. Three is a symbolic number. Sit down, count the cost, go through scripture, study the people around in it, go through each of these people, see the end of those who finished well, see the promises of God, and see the consequences of saying no to Christ. See the consequences of not saying, I mean, you may do well in this life, but you will be eternity in the lake of, you look at all this and you say, you know, Lord, I've counted the cost. I've counted the cost. I've counted the cost. And I am willing to pay the price. Because I see the rewards are greater than the price I'm asked to pay. And the rewards are permanent. It is not even temporary. When you're talking about permanent, there is a permanency in this world also. Permanency in this world also. It is not even that. It is eternal. It is eternal. And that's what God is talking about. So Nehemiah looked into his heart. He surveyed, looked outside. He surveyed the damage, took his time, made up his mind, and after that, he did not waver. 
she did not waver. And all of us have to count the cost. You have to at some point, like when I stepped in, I counted the cost. Okay, I counted it all and said, you know what, this is it. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to put my hand on this plow, willing to pay the price, and I'm not going to turn back. And after that, it became difficult and difficult and difficult. And it, it had to go through, a, like, what do you say, a curve like this. Somewhere on the curve, you are still there. You don't know which way it will turn anyway. But you went through it and you made up your mind. You said, you know what, what happens? That's where that song, though no may follow, yet I will, yeah, no, the cross before me, the world behind me. You make your, that's a call to a disciple. That's a song of a disciple. That's not a song of a believer. Okay, it's not a song of the crowd. This is a song of a disciple. And he made his call. Three days he took, surveyed everything and made it. In the same way, three days God gave Saul. And Saul saw himself and he Saul saw the Lord and he had made up his mind. And when he made up his mind, he got a vision. Okay? You see yourself? Yes. What do you see now? My sight is coming back. Somebody called Ananias is going to come and lay hands upon me. I will regain my sight. And after that, I will never turn back. God says, go tell him. Go tell him. I picked him. I picked him. And he shall be my vessel. And you will see he never turns back. He's one man over there who never ever turns back. Let's go to Nehemiah, the next one. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17. Chapter 2 and verse 17. So we have to look. First, we have to be absolutely, absolutely to be focused. Do I have a burden? What is my focus? Is focus my purpose or God's purpose? It is God who put his burden on Nehemiah's heart. That's our focus. We look back and say, yeah, I have this great burden. A lot of people come, I have this great burden. Listen them out. Listen them out. They say, it's good. First, it is good to have a burden. Among those people who have no burden, you at least have a burden. That's where it starts. At least you have a burden. It's good to have a burden because most people have no burden. They don't even have a burden for themselves. Like many of our young people, they don't even study because they don't even have a burden for themselves. So leave them alone, they will do nothing. Then waste their lives. At least have a burden for yourself. If you don't have a burden for others, have a burden. That's how we start with our children. Get up in the morning, do your stuff, do your chores. You don't have to do my chores. Do your chores at least. Then, as you grow, start doing some chores in the house. That is what you're being. You're starting from them, starting to have a burden for themselves too. Increasing it to have a burden. You're a community of believers. Your community in this family have a burden for others within the family. And then it goes. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends with the earth. But it begins with Jerusalem. Begins with. So that is the first thing, the focus. And once you have a focus, you need to have to be very sure about the facts. Okay? Can I finish this? If I start building, will I? Will I, or you will just send a mail, now I am leaving the church, or a text. Okay, how easy it is, how easy it is. One text, people are there in church for 8 years, 9 years, 10 years, and suddenly one text. Now I am checking out other churches, so I want to inform you, how easy it is. I mean, this didn't start with us or anything, this started 2000 years ago, John writes about it. He says, let them go, you are not with us. You were there, but if you were part of us, you would have never left us. So there are people who have moved to other countries are still part of us. 
They're 10,000 miles away, away for years, but they never detest. They may be going to another church over there, but they will always say that we'll never forget where we came from. We know this is where we started. We'll always be part of it. You know, part of it that way. No? You do not cut the ties away completely like as if you are strangers or enemies like that. No? So you have to look at the facts. You made up your mind. You counted the cost and you follow through. You follow through. And Nehemiah 2 and 17, yes. Then I said to them, you see the distress we are in? How Jerusalem lies? Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. You will see suddenly now from an individual having a burden, he gets others involved. Okay, I said to them, I said to them, okay, so what happens? You need a family, a spiritual family, meaning you need a, a group of like-minded people with the same cause, same cause. A church is a set of people, like-minded people with the same cause. What is the cause? The kingdom of God. That is the cause. That is the cause. Like-minded people with the come. Let us, let us, come, let us, come, watch me build the wall, no? Come, let us build the wall. It's a common cause. It's a common cause. My salvation, your salvation, everybody's salvation is a common cause because he died for all of us. It's a common salvation. I don't have a special faith and you have another faith. No, it's a common faith. That's what Jude says. It's a common faith, once and for all handed over to the saints. So we are fighting for the same cause. When we all enter, we are entering into the same kingdom. Same kingdom. Through the same doorway. So there is a call. In Romans 14 and verse 7, the Bible says, for none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. None of us lives to himself. We live unto God. Be love unto others. Even if you are an introvert and you don't want to connect with anybody, if you sit in a chair, you are occupying space. You are breathing air which somebody else could have breathed. You are eating food somebody else could have eaten. So nobody lives unto themselves. It's impossible for anyone. And no one dies to himself. Okay, so we need to realize we are a community. The church is a community. It is a body. Jesus could have done it all by himself. But he picked 12. Then he picked 70 or 72. Then on the day of Pentecost, 120. And continued like that. Yet, if you look at it, he could have done it all by himself. Okay, but sometimes you have to do it all. When everyone left, Jesus still stood and went to the cross. Okay. When everybody were hiding and ran away and disappeared or were killed, Elijah stood alone. Okay. When everybody turned against him, Moses stood alone. Okay. So there will be. But the whole idea is to get people together. That we have a common cause and we will. Okay. That is where Acts chapter 2 verse 41, 42 comes. Those who gladly were baptized, that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 
they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Why? Because we are now being trained in the common cause. There's a single common cause. How do you know? You learn it from teaching. Why don't people have a purpose? Because they don't come under the teaching. You cannot have a cause for the kingdom unless you come for the teaching of the kingdom. People miss out on the teaching. But that doesn't mean their minds are unoccupied. They are, they are being taught something or everybody's mind is being occupied with something or other. So you are being taught one thing or other. Either you are watching tube, YouTube, you are watching news, you are watching movies, or watching or you are working, or studying, whatever. All these things are filling in. But you are not being part of a common curriculum called the word of God. That common curriculum, the word of God, is dealing with the kingdom of God. That is the apostles' doctrine. That is the first one. But once you have understood the kingdom of God, the doctrine of the apostles or the doctrine of Christ, then you realize, I can't do it alone. Fellowship becomes important. Then fellowship becomes, that's why fellowship is put there second. Fellowship becomes very, very important. Now, fellowship is a very common term. There is fellowship everywhere. That is why fellowship is put second and not first. Fellowship is is a result of that doctrine. That's where everywhere it works. If a set of people sit and talk talk, talk together cricket, you will see what's the common doctrine? Cricket. Okay? Common doctrine. Politics. Common doctrine is politics. Okay? Movies. Common doctrine is movies. Okay? Sports. And again, their doctrines will divide. Footballers will go this way. Cricketers will go that way. Tennis players will go that way. Okay? But what is for us? It is the doctrine of Christ. It's not the doctrine of prosperity. It's not the doctrine of healing. It's not the doctrine of deliverance. It is not, no. It is the doctrine of Christ. All these are a part. If you take one and exalt it, then healing becomes God. Why, what is your ministry? I have a healing ministry. No. I have a ministry which Christ has given. I, rep- I present Christ and healing is part of it. I, I don't lift healing above Christ. You don't lift deliverance above. You don't lift prosperity. Then what happened? You become a prosperity preacher. You do not become a preacher of Christ. It's the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine and the fellowship has to go together. Otherwise, what happens? Fellowship is a very neutral term. Everywhere there is fellowship. Everywhere there is fellowship. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brethren, look at that, you know, let us, therefore, brethren, it's a common term. Come, let us go together. Enter the holiest of holies. Not go to church. Brethren, let us go into the holy of holies. Old Testament is different. Only the high priest went. New Testament different. Everybody can go. So I have to say, come. No, don't be just satisfied with the outer courts of repentance and forgiveness, repentance. And just do not be just satisfied with knowledge, acquiring knowledge and all that at the holy place. Let us all go to the holy of holies. Come, brethren. Let us. Let us. Next word, verse 22. Let us. This is not let me. Let me draw near and I will come back and tell you what I heard. No, let us. Let us. 23. Let us. 24. Let us. Consider one another. Let us. And what is 25? Some sit up. 
don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He's not saying yourselves together. He's saying, our, I am, I'm part of it. <laughs> I am as much as part of it. The writer of the Hebrews, who are the apostles, says, ourselves together, as in the manner of some. That is why this online is dangerous, unless you are in another city. You are in this city, don't opt for online. You are in this city, and you are able to come. There are no restrictions placed on you, unless you are senior citizen with comorbidities, and therefore you are restraining. Other than that, if there are no restrictions on you, don't stop. Because what happens is that God will not speak to you. God will not speak to you. You will never get the cause of the kingdom into your heart. Why? Because you isolated yourself. It's a common cause. No, I don't want to be part of the church. I'll sit at home and I will listen online. God says, you can study. I will not teach. I will not teach. See, God does not subvert his order. He will not subvert his order anywhere. Okay? Subvert his order anywhere. He will not subvert his order. Okay? Think about it. Three times a year, every male above the age of how many? Twelve years? Or eighteen years? Something? Yeah? yeah, they had to come to Jerusalem. Okay? Now, what happens if they decided, I am not going? Would they have heard Peter preach on the day of Pentecost? No. God was very clear. On that day, he spoke. And that day was mandated by the law of God. All should gather in Jerusalem. So they had come from all parts of the world. And those who came heard. And among those who heard, 3,000 believed. But what if you decided not to go to Jerusalem that year? You did not hear. Maybe you would get saved, but you may have to wait for three years for somebody to bring the message to you. Because you didn't go. So that is what he's talking about. Let us. So there is focus, there are facts, and there is family. There is family. See, family of God. Nehemiah 2.17 Therefore I said to them, you see the distress we are in? How Jerusalem lies in waste? We are in. But let us wait a moment. Nehemiah, are you really in distress? You are from Sushan, right? <laughs> Aren't you the king's cupbearer? Do you have a palace to live in? Yeah. King's cupbearer cannot live in a single bachelor's accommodation. He's a king's cupbearer. He has his own boarding. Slaves to take care of him and all that he has. He's a big guy. He's a cupbearer and he will also have security because nobody should get him to poison the king. So he has got all this. I mean, but that's not what he says. He says, we are in distress. You see the distress we are in. We are in. And where is it? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. Okay. Look at how Jerusalem lies waste. Its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Hebrews 12, 23 Now we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jer- Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Names are registered in heaven, but the church is on earth. And God says, do you see the distress of Jerusalem? Okay, you got your job, you got your salary, 
got your apartment. EMIs all have been paid. Everything now is yours. Or you are retired, you have your pension. It's a good pension. Do you see the distress? This is the distress of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah has no personal distress. For all said and done, definitely, if you go by culture, he's a eunuch. So he doesn't even have a family to be distressed about. Oh, my son is in uh, IIT, Kharagpur, and I have to think about him. No, nothing. No worries. I mean, you can retire. <laughs> I mean, you are in Sushan, a thousand kilometers away. Who cares what happens in Jerusalem? But he understands the spiritual significance. And God is saying, Jerusalem is the church, the new covenant. And Jerusalem is in distress. The church actually is in distress. All around the world, the church is in distress. The walls have come down. That's why we say in our church, you look at the maximum number of prayer requests are for salvation. They look into every household. There are unsaved loved ones or loved ones who have walked away from faith rebels, all kind of things are happening within the kingdom of, no, like, now think about it, no, the distress. Yesterday I was talking about my son's friend's sister, young kid from Assam, jumping from the roof, and yesterday near GSS, our girl's home, just down the lane, that girl, one of the kids, we all must have seen her walk first, the only child of her parents, 16 year old, no, 21 year old girl, engineering student, hanged herself. All of you know her. All of us have seen her. Only child, well-to-do family. And what would cause these children to kill themselves? I'm not even talking. See, when an older person dies, at least there is grief, but you know, they live their life fully. When a young one dies, there is grief. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a life with so much hope and potential cut short. No? And you have to look at it and say, what is going on? Right here. Right here. An engineering student. An only child. Well-to-do family. What is it? Now, we don't have to do a dissection of what, but the thing is that kids are dying. Kids are, if they are not dying physically, they are dying spiritually. Jerusalem is lying in waste. There is distress. And Jerusalem is the church. There is distress. And God says, are you moved by the distressed? Nehemiah was. Nehemiah was moved by the distress. No. He says the gates are burnt. There's no joy. There's no praise. There's no thanksgiving. Everybody is sitting with a big gloomy face. You know? Everybody you walk on the streets, you see the faces of the people. Either it is faces controlled by pleasure, pursuit of pleasure, or you look at them, it is worry and tension, and anger. and You don't see joy. Because you don't have joy. How can you have joy without Christ? And walking with Christ. It's just not that you knew Christ. You have to walk with Christ for the joy to radiate. Because he's a man of sorrows. Yet the Lord has anointed him above all his companions. Why? Because he loved righteousness, hated. That's where doctrine comes. And then you put your heart into it. I love righteousness. I hate wickedness. And God anoints you with the oil of gladness. These are not just tablets that drop from sky. There is a path to be pursued for an automatic reaction to take place in you. For God has to do something in you, you have to be in a particular path. And here, gates are gone. There's no praise. There's no song. There's no thanksgiving. There is nothing. The walls have come down. 
And the result of it, what happens? Go back to Nehemiah 2.17. What has happened? We are a reproach. Jerusalem is a reproach. The people of Israel is a reproach. His name is reproached. The question is, are we zealous for the Lord's name? You see, he began with his name. He didn't begin with his kingdom or his will. He says, hallowed be thy name. Thy name. He says, my name is being reproached. When the church is distressed and disgraced, it is the name of the Lord that is reproached. If America falls, whose name gets reproached? Then the Gentiles will laugh and say, ha, 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 this was the so-called Christian nations. Look at them. Look at them. Look at them. Fallen. Fallen. Look at the loss they are bringing. How every abomination. Oh, we are not. We are much more righteous than you. We Hindus are more righteous than you. We Muslims are more righteous than you. Look at your country. Look at your laws. Look at what is happening. The name of our God is being reproached. And God says, when that happens, are you distressed? And the church is lying in shambles around the world, spiritually, in shambles. Don't look at the buildings. Question says, are you reproached? I mean, are you distressed at the reproach? When the bride of Christ, the state of the bride, God says, are we distressed? When David is brought for Samuel chapter 17, you see, we see David at different stages in life. We see him being brought from the wilderness to be anointed. He doesn't say anything. He goes to the king after that many, I don't know how many months later, he goes, he plays, nothing he says. He goes back and forth. The first time David opens his mouth and speaks, listen to what he says. David spoke to the men who stood by him and says, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes the reproach from Israel? That's what he's distressed about. This guy is bringing reproach to God. He's distressed over that fact. And that's what Nehemiah is distressed about. The name of the Lord is at reproach. The Gentiles are mocking. The pagans are mocking. The demons are mocking. There is a reproach here. Because God has put his name over Jerusalem. God has put his name over Israel. In Nehemiah and David's case, in our case, he put his name on his church. We were all baptized. How did we all become one body? Because we were all baptized into one name. One name. And that name is being reproached. Otherwise, our fellowship is no better than a social club. We fellowship, have a good time, but we are not distressed at all. No? So God is asking this question. Are we able to see the brokenness? The distress of Jerusalem? That's why Nehemiah went and observed carefully the brokenness of Jerusalem. No? And three days, in his blindness, Saul saw he was broken because he realized all my life, and especially in these past years, what I have done is I have reproached the name of the Lord who actually died to save me. And he was broken. He was absolutely broken by his. This is what I did. Okay? And that's why we'll always say, you know, 
I am the least of the apostles because I reproached his name unlike the others. They did not reproach his name. I did. I did. I reproached his name. Therefore, he becomes the greatest. How he turns that around and goes on full steam for God. No? Because this is the city God said he would put his name on. And all Nehemiah saw was despair. All he saw was distress and despair. And God says, when you look at this church, what do you see? Our church is a worldwide body. What do you see? What do you see? God, can God come to us? Can God speak to us? In Judges chapter 6, verses 12 to 14. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Okay, but look at him. Then you will know his heart. The Lord said to him, Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? If the Lord is with us, <laughs> then why is our state like this? Why is Israel like this? There are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did you not? Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You see, sitting in the wine press while he was threshing field, his heart was agonizing over the state of Israel. There was a grief. There was a burden on his heart. You know what's in verse 14 God says? Lord turned to him and says, Go in this might of yours. I see the burden. Go with that burden. I will deliver Israel. I was looking for one man who had some burden for the state of affairs that is happening here. And I found you. Now I can use you. I can use you. Same thing with Moses. God was looking, looking, looking. Going after the father's sheep. But it was there inside. And when he turned aside, God said, Moses, Moses. And from there, the commission beginning. Because a lot of people say, God never speaks to me. God has never called me. The question is, can God put a burden into your heart? That's why God sent David to the battlefield on the 40th day. He gave 39 days to the rest of Israel. To see if anybody. Then on the 40th day, he sends David. And this is his response. What I have done now is there not a cause. Unlike them, the first thing he looked is there. There is a cause here. And you know the cause was inside. The cause was the same for everybody, but they did not have it inside. Everybody had the cause outside, but they did not have the cause inside. Therefore, you know what? God could use only one teenage boy who had the cause inside. Is there not a cause? And above all, that distress, that despair, that cause, that attitude that comes from within with which you identify yourself. Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the greatest emperor saying, are we not in distress in Isaiah 50 and word 7. Isaiah 50 and word 7. The Lord will help me. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. Okay, this is where it comes. Flint, of course, means this stone. I have set my face like a flint towards Jerusalem. That's what God is saying. Can God, God puts a burden 
Will you take the burden and set your face like a flint towards Jerusalem, towards the cross and say, you know, Lord, I put my hand on the plow. I know all kind of trouble is going to start. All kind of things are going to happen. But Lord, I know you will help me. And I will not be ashamed of this cause. I will not be ashamed of you. I will not turn back. I'm going to stay the whole course. I am going to be in this all the way. I'm going to be in this all the way. Fourth one. 2.18. Nehemiah 2. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's word that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. If the walls of Jericho came down, it came down by faith. If the walls of salvation, the walls of Jerusalem go up, it will also be by faith. It will be by the hand of God. It will be by no other hand. This is not a work of flesh. This is a work of faith. You can have a cause. You can have a burden. Don't try to build it in your strength. You will not build it. You will not build it. The hand of the Lord. Only by faith and faith alone. The problem is people actually have a genuine cause. A genuine burden. And they run. Without waiting for the hand of the Lord to come upon them. The hand of the Lord to come upon them. You have to, it's a training. Everywhere in the Bible you will see the men of God who were called had to wait. You will ask what they had to wait for. They had to wait until they were absolutely sure it was the hand of God that was moving them. They had to wait. That was what God was teaching them. God was teaching them through the process to hear. And that waiting is not a waste. That waiting is part of your work. It is part of your work. That waiting is part of The waiting that is, uh, that is uh, useless is a waiting in which you never hear. You are never prepared. You are never discipled. If you ask about the disciples from the ascension to the day of Pentecost, was that 10 days waiting a waste? No, it was necessary. Absolutely necessary. Was those 10 or 12 years of waiting for David to become king a waste? No, it was absolutely. That is what made him a man after God's own heart. Proved he was 13 years of slavery and imprisonment. Was that waiting wrong? That was absolutely necessary for Jesus not to ascend to the throne, but to keep the throne. Ascending is not a very difficult thing. It's keeping which is difficult. Healing is not the difficult thing. Walking in health is what is difficult. It is people like get healing just like this. But after that they fall sick again. You know why? Because keeping health is a discipline. It's not getting delivered which is difficult. In the name of Jesus. It's walking in your deliverance because that is the what is difficult part. There you have to change your entire lifestyle. And you should be willing to listen and obey and practice, practice until it becomes not, like we say in English, second nature. It becomes your nature. When you say second nature, you still have two natures. Your first nature and the second nature. No, it becomes one nature. Okay, so this is the hand of God. It's not the hand of man. The hand of God is always, should be good upon us. There are times when the hand of God becomes tough on us also. But even then it is good. Okay, good. We'll stop there. Okay, we'll continue on Sunday. We'll continue back to building because we'll continue from there. I hope people will listen and come. There are no guarantees <laughs> that people will listen and come. When they are in church, I have doubts whether they'll listen. <laughs> so, 
but uh, no, let's do the, look to the Lord. Father, we take, we are taking an inventory of our lives of the last 11 months and 16 days, O oh Lord. We're taking an inventory, Lord. 15 and a half days, 11 months. It's been, for so many ways, a difficult year because of the pandemic and the result chaos. But other than that, spiritually, it was a very profitable year, Lord. For everybody who made use of that time. Because you said, redeem the time for the days are evil. And unlike any year in our lives, you gave us time in abundance this year, oh Lord. To sit down, take stock of our lives, build our lives, put our houses in order. And still another 15 days are left, Lord. 16 days are left. And I pray, Father, everyone will be serious. See, it's not an emotional thing. Nehemiah just didn't hear the news, cry and get up and forget. No, he made a long journey. Even then he didn't decide. Three days, he was quiet. He went in the night, he surveyed the whole damage and then he spoke. He did, till then he didn't speak about it to anybody. He counted the cost and was willing to pay the price. So did Saul of Tarsus. So did Abraham. You gave all of them time. Some less, some more, but he gave them all time. Because once we put our hand on the plough, he said, don't turn back. And if you turn back, you're not worthy of the kingdom. So I pray, Lord, every one of us will take a close, honest inventory of our lives. And difficult, more difficult days and years may be ahead of us. We don't know but it will not cause us to turn back. It will not. Difficult days and difficult times and difficult people, difficult situations, perilous times will not cause us to turn back. We will set our face like a flint towards Jerusalem. It's a new Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that is from above, not the Jerusalem that is on earth. That's why we know our redemption comes from above. We will set our face towards that Jerusalem. We will not turn back. We will not turn back. Wherever the walls have been breached, the stones have fallen off, where there are cracks in the gate, I pray we will repair. That praise will go forth again. Peace will be established again. And there will be security at the walls. The enemy cannot come in. He is outside. Help us, Lord. Help us to understand through all these words in your, in your scriptures what it means for us today. Teach us, Lord. Teach us. Help us. Let no one lose hope, for God is with them, and God is for them. In this work, the good hand of the Lord is upon us, for this is the work of the Lord. Salvation is the work of His right hand, and the good Right hand of God is upon us in this work. And the work he does through us, if we believe and stay the course, he will also finish in us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Be with us. Go before us, Lord. Thank you, Father. Give us strength for this labor, for this work. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.